Welcome to the Strategy Driven Podcast, Making Change Work. What are systems and how do they influence change? On behalf of the entire Strategy Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. Making change work. What are systems and how do they influence change? The Strategy Driven Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag articles found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this episode, Sharon Drew Morgan, developer of buying facilitation, shares with us her insights on the difficulty in effectively implementing business change. In this, the second in a series of change management podcasts, we explore what systems are and their importance to effectively managing any change. And so now, without any further delays, let's get started. We are privileged to be joined by Sharon Drew Morgan, New York Times bestselling author, and developer of a change management model based on buy-in that she's written about in her latest book, Dirty Little Secrets. Sharon Drew is the visionary thought leader behind buying facilitation, a decision facilitation model that focuses on helping buyers and those who would be impacted by the accompanying change manage their internal, unconscious, and behind-the-scenes issue that must be addressed before they purchase anything or buy into the requested change. She has served many well-known companies, including KPMG, Unisys, IBM, Wachovia, and Bose. Sharon Drew, welcome back to the Strategy Driven Podcast. Hi, Nathan. I'm excited about this one today. I'm excited about this one, too. I love the topic of systems. And as our listeners who joined us in our last episode know, this is now the second of our series of six podcasts on making change work. So thrilled to have you back on the show today. Thanks. Well, to start out with, I'd like to remind our listeners of how we defined change in the last episode, just to establish the groundwork for our discussion this evening. What we said about change was that change is all about buy-in, and specifically, it's about systems buying into the change, that we have something from outside of the system that is trying to get what is internal to the system to do something different, something new. And that change occurs when the system agrees to do that something different. And then we talked about change management in terms of being a decision facilitation that helps the system accept the change. So that's just the reminder or the recap of what changes from the last time. 
And so to start this podcast now on systems, and, and we've talked quite a bit about the role systems play in change. And it appears to me that if we don't understand systems, well, we're not going to know how to influence them. And in essence, we're going to make the change just more difficult to implement. But what I find amazing is that I don't hear any of these other change management experts or so-called experts talk about systems. So I wanted to ask you first, why don't we hear everybody else talking about systems? I have no idea. And there's the same problem in sales, you know. Um, sales never talks about the, the systems that the buyers have to go through because at the end of the day, um, making a purchase is a change management problem. And any time a system changes, it's a change management problem. And any time change is going to happen, it's a systems problem. They work together. So just like sales doesn't ever discuss uh, systems, change management doesn't either. What change management has done historically is that there is a baseline assumption made that with the proper, appropriate, uh, rational change request, being made, mm -hmm. that those inside or in the place where a change has to happen are supposed to just roll over and agree and go, oh, cool, I'm happy to change my job. I'm happy to move town. I'm happy to work with a group I've never worked with before. I'm happy to learn something totally new and get less pay. I'm happy to work with six people instead of working for myself. I'm happy to have a new boss. They're supposed to just roll over and say, okay. And then we have things like action learning and some of the systems work from Sangi and from um, Isaacs. And what we then do is manage the resistance. And I make a joke that I don't think is so funny, actually. It's, it's like shooting somebody in the foot with a big rifle and then having a, a, a Band-Aid and saying, why don't you want my Band-Aid? Here, let me fix it with the Band-Aid. And then right. blaming them for not wanting to accept your Band-Aid when they need a hospital or a new foot or something. Um, so what we've done is we've actually pushed our uh, requests for change into the status quo, which is the system. And then mm -hmm. we get resistance and pushback and we blame them for pushing back. And I contend that once we understand systems better, we'll be able to get buy-in first, and then the change will come naturally. On that note, would you describe for the audience what you mean or what you see as being a system? Well, a system is a grouping of interdependent pieces. Their rules, relationships, values, beliefs, feelings, history, um, ego needs, um, past, present, and future memories, needs. Um, it's everything that makes up the status quo. Think of, do you remember the old pickup sticks? Nathan? Yes, I do. Okay. I remember pickup sticks. And remember there was a black one in there? Mm -hmm. And the black one would help you get the other ones. The problem was that the black one was somewhere in the middle. They didn't hand it to you separately. 
So you had to carefully take off the other ones before you got to the black one. And 98% of the time, you never even got to the black one because you already moved something from touching all the other ones. Right. Well, that's what a system is. And the problem is the black one. And it's in the middle of all these interdependent pieces that make up the status quo. And when you move one, everything else moves also. So, for example, in the sales field, sales treats the identified problem as if it were an isolated event and doesn't realize that just because there's a need <laughs> doesn't mean that there's not people whose jobs are attached to it and people, partners who are doing something with parts of that need. There's interdependent parts that make up the status quo. That is a system. So when we try to change something and we push in, we're pushing into a closed system. Now, let's talk about what nature calls a system. Okay. A system is all the things that make something what it is. And what happens is there's this natural law, scientific law, I think it is, called homeostasis. Right, you've heard of that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, I have. And homeostasis is what creates the balance that makes things operate the way they operate. So when you take out one piece, one piece or push something else in, you have now just destroyed the balance of the system. Because when you put anything new, when you put anything new into a system, you mm -hmm. have destroyed the balance of the system because the interdependent parts don't fit together so well anymore. And right. what do you do with the extra piece? So, so, so change managers have pushed the new idea, rational and efficacious as it might be, into this closed system. And the system says, oh no, I think I'll do homeostasis, so you leave out. And it resists because that's the natural law. So it's doing what it's supposed to do. And the people on the outside get mad and say, oh, those stupid buyers, oh, those stupid employees, they're supposed to know to change because we have a rational solution and the jobs are going to be better. But we don't know what's going on for them. We don't know how they wake up every day and they plan to have lunch with the people next to them because they love these people. Or, or they are used to um, working in this little area because they have this great window and all the people around them are their friends. Or they finally got to a management position and they have this clear way forward to be a, an executive person. You don't know when you bring change in what's going to happen to those people what they're going to think, what they're going to feel, and how they're going to resist. So pushing in from the outside, we are creating the resistance that we're getting that the system's thinkers then run around trying to fix. Okay. So really, and just to delve a, a little bit more into this role systems play and change, it sounds to me like if you ignore the systems, you're really doing so at your own peril, that you're in essence, through this ignoring of the system, making the change harder yes. than what it has to be. That's right. 
Okay. What's so fascinating for me is mm-hmm. how many thousands of books have been written about change, and all of them are about resistance, about managing resistance, and none of them are about managing the buy-in within the system so that the system will open up easily and automatically to allow in and welcome change. Absolutely. And as you were going through the natural description, you know, since I'm a nuclear engineer by trade and background, first thing that came to my mind was a little chemistry. In any chemical system, when you stress one side, something else has to change. There's no option. It just does. So I wonder, it, I wonder why the change management field has ignored the systems element. Do you have any thoughts about it? I think in, in some respects, we get wrapped up in our, I don't know, I, I want to call it maybe an academic sense of logic that, you know, if we're perfectly rational and logical about the change that we can convince others to see things as we do and to accept this change. That's ego. Yeah. And, and I think we see ego everywhere, whether it's at work, whether it's in, say, government or politics. We got ego running rampant everywhere in society, and everyone thinks that everyone else ought to be happy to change and do what they want. And they don't recognize that, well, they're disturbing a system. And the system's not going to be happy just to change on a dime that some people actually like the way things are for maybe irrational reasons. Well, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> you, just, you just hit one of my, my hot buttons, Nathan. Oh, okay. Let's talk about irrational for a minute. Okay. Have you ever made an irrational decision that you knew at the time you were making it was irrational? Oh, certainly. Okay, so you stopped and said, I'm going to do this now, and I know that this is irrational. I would would say that there are times where I make decisions that I think to myself, you know, I probably shouldn't do it this way. But? But I do it anyway. Okay, so let me tell you why. Because I contend that there is no such thing as an irrational decision. Mm -hmm. And the only way it gets to be irrational is when the person from the outside calls it, deems it irrational. Okay. Because the person themself, themselves mm-hmm. don't decide to make an irrational decision that's going to harm them. So let's talk about decision-making because the entire field of decision-making is based on this rational and irrational and mm-hmm. the assumption that um, there's a good decision and a bad decision. Well, there's no, such, right. there's no such thing. So let's just talk about that for a minute. I think in one of our later podcasts, we're going to talk about decision-making. Yeah, right. We are. We're going to dedicate a whole episode to decision-making. So I'm going to just do a little tease here. Okay. Okay. Teases are good? Teases are good. Our behaviors are nothing more than our beliefs in action. Okay. So every decision that we make is based on our beliefs and values. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, we have them weighted, and they can be yes. re-weighted and unweighted, and at different times, they're weighted differently, right? Mm-hmm. So the That's decisions right. you agree. make for your five-year-old are different in scale and value to the decisions you make for your 14-year-old, because you've had to reweight them, because one's younger, one's older. Right. It might be the same thing when they, when they go to bed, when they do their homework, but they're weighted differently. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So people have values and they make decisions based on these values. Put these people in a system. Usually systems have similar values. That's one of the elements that's similar. Okay. And their beliefs are similar. And therefore, a lot of their behaviors are similar. Okay. So when you take a company like Google, mm -hmm. and you take a company like Apple, and you take a company like IBM, for argument's sake, they might even be in the same field or the same industry. Yes. Mm -hmm. But they have wholly different environments, wholly different beliefs, wholly different ways of deciding, wholly different values, and wholly different systems internally. Mm -hmm. Just like you and your wife and your two children might be living next door to a family that has a husband and, and wife and two children, but they're totally different, totally different systems, depending on the beliefs and values of the people. So all the decisions we make are the best decision we know how to make at that time, given our waiting, our waiting, and our values and our beliefs and the, and the position we're in within our system. Okay. So when change is being asked of the system mm -hmm. and, and the beliefs are not brought in and not encouraged to discuss, to come out, to show their stress, we are actually pushing against, and we're, we're actually people who are irrational because we are right. rationally trying to get the system to change without buy-in. Mm -hmm. Now, we've talked, I think, a lot about systems. I'll call them people systems, but I know that you and I have talked about other kinds of systems. I was wondering if you might describe some of those other systems that we need to consider in our change approach besides just what I call the, the people systems. So are you talking like about technology? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Technology. You... Give me a list so I can make sure I get them all. Oh, okay. Well, what I'm thinking about are uh, things like policies and procedures. There are things like technology. So everything that we have within our system. Mm-hmm is based on the underlying rules that everyone has bought into. So when I was first starting it, I have um, nonverbal learning disorder, which is one is a high-end Asperger's. And so I, I see the whole world differently. And before I was able to, before I was diagnosed, I could tell people that I have this and people could make adjustment for it or tell me what to do or what not to do because sometimes I get confused. I used to walk into new jobs, this is a true story, and I used to walk around my first day, and I used to say, why is that person doing that job? She's, she's doing a really horrible job, and she's, she's going to cost you money. And this is when I was 22 years old, and I was right, because if I was not right, they'd think it was cute, you know? Yeah. But... And I would walk around saying, boy, that's, that, that shouldn't be over there. You should move that over there because I see the world in systems. So I can walk in any place and I can know what's off and what's wrong. And I used to walk in. I, I, I was getting fired from jobs after being there for an hour. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Because I would walk in and tell the system that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'd only been there a minute and a second. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I had no, I, I was an outsider. When you join a system, when you join a company, there are policies and rules and behaviors and dress codes and what people do at lunch and how, when I, I did some work with KPMG and they used to have a, um, a belief that working around the clock was a good thing and getting divorced was just fine. And yeah. everybody was on their second or third wives because they worked around the clock and they forgot that they had a family. Right? Are you familiar with this? Mm-hmm. Oh, I've, I've seen this before. I've seen it in the military, too, and I've seen it at uh, utilities. Medical students have to work around the clock for 36 yeah. hours? There's this, and, and, and people buy into this. So once you're part of that system, you buy into that, and you think it's normal. Right, right. Okay? So every system, every group has a different set of rules and beliefs, and the technology will manage that for you. And in order to change anything, you have to change all the pieces and get all the pieces to buy in. Did that handle that question? I think so. Okay. Now, Sharon Drew, I have seen, you know, if you have a team of people inside an organization that are implementing some change, maybe they're implementing some new software system or whatever, they're still outsiders if say I'm I'm implementing a new HR so- piece of software and I'm in the IT group, I'm still an outsider to the HR group, even if I work for the same company. Right. And Is that the, anyone that's trying to create change by pushing something in to a system that's fine? Thank you. Even if you're put when well, you're a tech team and you're trying to get a group of users to to use something new or do something new or take a new CRM system, you are an outsider to the sales group. You're right. not part of the sales group. And I've watched this fail. I can't tell you how many times. And what they do is they train the salespeople on the new technology. And then they can't figure out why they're not using it. And right. the sales folks have had no say in whether or not it comes in, how it gets implemented, what it's going to look like, how it's going to be used, what are the fail saves for success or failure. Mm-hmm. And all they have to do is comply. And then they resist. And then, of right. course, they're bad, wrong, stupid, horrible because they're resisting. And mm-hmm. And the other thing that people do is they say, okay, sales folks, we're going to put in a new uh, CRM system and we want you to learn all about it as we're developing it so you know exactly what it's going to do. So we're going to give you classes every week on this technology so you learn it. And nobody, nobody has asked them to buy in. Nobody has asked them how they're going to agree. What happens if they don't agree? What happens if they're scared, annoyed, hurt, angry? What they're going to do with that and how they're going to manage that on a daily basis. So they try to smile and show up, especially these days, they want to keep their job. And then they Mm -hmm. sabotage it. 
so as, a, as an outsider then, how do I go about, or I being the change agent, go about identifying all of the systems that need to change or that I need to address as part of the I'm going to make it easier for you. And I think we get more into the hows as we move on in our series. We do. But mm -hmm. I'm going to just lay it out for you here. Okay. I'm going to talk about the difference between structure and content for just a moment. And I have kind of defined my own term structure. So okay. think about an ice cream cone as having the structure and then the ice cream as the content. Think about a glass as having the structure and whatever you put in it, the water, the milk, as the content. Yeah. So there's something that holds something else in place. Okay. That defines it. So if okay. I said to you, I just bought a new house. I don't have time. Here's $5,000. You got me some furniture for one of the rooms. What would be the two things you need to know first? So we have a room. Yes. And we want to have a couple things in the room. I guess I need to know how big the room is right. and what the purpose of the room That's is. That's exactly be. right. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> so the, the size of the room is the structure because you uh -huh. can't put a 10-foot couch in an 8-foot room. Right. And the purpose of the room, you're not going to want to put a sink in the middle of a living room probably. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. That defines the structure. So just like you cannot put a gallon of milk in an 8-ounce glass. Mm-hmm. You can't put anything new in and content without the structure determining the values of the content. So the size of the content and the shape of the content. Okay? Okay. All right. When we're going to be addressing buy-in, as we're going to get into more detail later on, mm -hmm. we're going to be coming at it from the structural standpoint. What okay. change agents have done until now has come at it from the content standpoint. Mm -hmm. You tell me where the power lie, where the control lie, in the structure or in the content? Uh, I would think the structure would have the power. That's right. Okay. That's right. So when you come in at the content level, the other, the other creates the structure. So what you're doing is you're giving the insiders in the system the control over whether or not or how the change is adopted. Okay. So I want to move this around. And you can only have control over either the content or the structure. In sales, one of the problems with sales is that sales handles needs analysis and solution placement only, and that's all content while the buyer is managing the structure of how they're going to change, how they're going to decide, how they're going to bring in something new. And the, buy, the seller has to just sit and wait because they're out of control. The mm -hmm. same thing with the change agent. Here's what we want you to do. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's how often you have to do it. And we have no idea what the people inside are thinking, doing, planning, and we're out of control. So I want us to take back a level of control by creating the structure within which the system 
can buy into change in a way that won't disrupt the rules and roles and relationships of the system. So we're going to be coming at it by creating a structure that holds us, that goes around the systems, the system and holds it in place, and then going, letting the, the, the system manage the change first from the inside. So you're not going to worry about whether you start here, 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 here. The system is going to do that for you once you create the proper structure. Okay. Okay. Now, with that understanding then, how does a system itself go through a decision-making process to determine whether or not to accept or reject a particular change? The system, through its own rules, its own roles, its own relationships, has to figure out itself how and whether and if and when it's going to move or not move to allow something new in. So let I just mentioned the word moving. So let's say you and your wife are going to move a house. The last thing you would need at the content level is the house. Mm -hmm. right? Not the first thing, okay. the last right. thing. So the first things you have to do is create the structure around the move. So okay. you, you and your wife have to figure out the pros and cons, whether travel to and from work or, or underground is something important whether the kids' schooling is important, whether the little one's schooling is more important than the older one's because she's going to another school in a year or making all this up. The things that run the system have to create the parameters within which it's willing to change. And then they define and structure and weight the, the way the change would happen by buying in to the different potential change issues. So if you wanted to be near the underground and your wife wanted to be near the highway, you two would have a problem. Yes. So the two of you would have to figure out a way to manage that little piece of the system in a way that it would come out in agreement with, with buying a house. Okay. So we don't know how that's going to happen, but with the waiting system, so your wife might have agreed to have a second child if she could go to work when the baby was child was five. And then she got to determine where you lived. We don't know what the inner rules are, the inner beliefs, the inner agreements within a system. That's one of the big problems of change management. We have no idea what's going on inside there and the agreements, the unspoken and spoken agreements. Mm -hmm. So we're going to set up a structure so the system has the capability of choosing the way it wants to change and managing this reweighting, this value, this be belief and behavior system, 
so that it's ready to buy in. And you're going to create the structure within which it can do that safely. Now, Sharon Drew, one thing I guess I've, I've made an assumption about, and that is, is that the people systems are the ones that are more difficult to change. And, and that's to say it's more difficult to change a system, whether it's values, beliefs, interactions, than it is for me to revise a procedure or to change a little software code. So making that assumption then, my question is, are there any particular skills or some sort of knowledge that an individual needs to have, maybe it's even some intuition, that would help make them more adept at dealing with the changes of a people system? All right, so I'm going to disagree. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> With your baseline belief, because let me tell you what I'm hearing. Uh -huh. I'm hearing that you have your consultant's hat on. Okay. You're still considering change from the outside. Uh, okay. Just a guess, honey. Just a guess. <laughs> that, that's probably a pretty good guess. Well, again, I hear systems pretty well. So I, I, everything I heard you say was the assumption from the outside in. So the only reason it's hard to change people systems from the outside is because why? Because you're on the outside. The outside. Okay. And because you're dealing with content. Okay. Okay. I'm suggesting something wholly different. So let's say, let's go back to the house analogy. Let's say okay. you and your wife have decided that where you're living isn't working for various reasons. And instead of figuring out whether you want to get this kind of a neighborhood or this kind of a traffic resolution, you decide on something much bigger at a structural level. You decide that the whole family won't have to travel more than, making all these numbers up, 45 minutes. Okay. That you want the family to have comfortable travel individual space, nearness to friends, and the whole family sits down. And of course, there's only four of you, so that makes it easy. But we can talk about the rest later. And you all decide what are your most important rules that everyone can buy into. Okay. So everyone's going to be happy. Everyone's going to be comfortable. Everyone's going to be safe. So you're creating a structure, and then all those other decisions get figured out within that structure. Okay. Later. Okay. But the biggest mm -hmm. problem is, it's not even a problem, the biggest, um, it's the most creative part, is creating the structure within which everything else can fit and find space for itself. Does that okay. help? That does help. That does help. And it's a great lead-in to the last thing I have to tell our audience. And that is, of course, to remind them about our upcoming podcast. Because we still have four to go. And so in the future podcast, we're going to talk about problems associated with change management that include bias and pushback. We're going to talk about 
as we mentioned earlier, why if decisions are rational, individuals impacted still resist the change, why buy-in is absolutely necessary and how it can be achieved. And then in our final episode, we're going to pull it all together and we're going to talk about a radical approach to change management, and that is real leadership. <laughs> so Sharon Drew, thank you again for joining me for this second of our series of six podcasts on making change work. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon. And I hope our listeners will join us for our remaining four episodes. So thank you. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. I would like to personally thank Sharon Drew Morgan for being with us today and sharing her insights on what systems are and why they are critically important to managing change. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider voting for us on Podcast Alley and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about Sharon Drew Morgan at www.buyingfacilitation.com. Until next time, so long.